Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. being in the house of the Lord this morning. I trust everyone had a great Thanksgiving with friends and family. And hopefully we didn't indulge ourselves too much on all the fixings. We're going to conclude our study this month, or this series at least. Uh, We've been talking about the subject, praise ye the Lord. Emphasis on ye. Praise ye the Lord began our study uh, the beginning of this this series uh, brother Everett spoke to us about walking in righteousness and brother Rayleigh followed him and talked about our shepherd being led by our shepherd last week brother Williams spoke to us about having a clean heart all of these are contingent upon pure praise to God. And so this week we will conclude from the subject created to worship. We'll take our text this morning from Psalm 150 and I'll read the entire Psalm. Brother Alan Everett just alluded to this. Psalm 150 says, praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. In verse 6, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. And so if you've got breath in your body right now, would you open up your mouth? You can lift your hands. You can clap your hands. But with your voice, would you praise him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Lord, we love you. God, we thank you. We bless your name, O God. We give you the highest praise, Jesus, because you are worthy of all of our praise. Jesus, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Can I tell you what you've just done is what you were created for. Questions have been asked, who am I? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Now, if we were honest with ourselves, I believe that if we were honest with ourselves and each other, we could all say that we've at least pondered these subjects. Who am I? Why am I here? What am I here for? 
And I can tell you that finding the answer to this question has caused man to theorize and pontificate, to, to write literary instruction for those who have at least believed that they have found the answers to those questions. It's also caused mankind to search and often find themselves in less than desirable circumstances. There are few more satisfying realizations in this earth than to have these questions answered in one's own life. To realize who you are, to understand what you were created for and why you were placed on this earth. And I'll submit to you this morning that there are equally few things more miserable than once finding out the answers to those questions than to do anything other than what you were created to do. And so if we're going to find out the answers to these questions, I believe that first we must seek the things of the, of the, of the Bible. We must go to the source of all things, and that is the Word of God. Because if we're going to understand what we were created for and who we are, we must first know who created us. Genesis 1 and 1, the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. In verse 31, And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. God designed it. God created it. And God said at the end of his creation that it was good and pleasing to him. And so for this cause, nature itself praises God and in so doing teaches us who God is. David said in Psalm 8 and 3 through 9, when I Consider thy heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. All of creation speaks back to its creator, the wondrous works of that creator. And because of this, David was able to learn of his purpose by looking at creation 
itself. The skillful and the artistic hand of God. His skill in design and his perfection in design of what he placed into existence shows all around us. Hear me, it speaks, it articulates, and it praises the work of its creator, hear me, by being exactly what he created it to be. Let me say that again. The creation worships the creator by being exactly what he intended for it to be. He said, sun, you'll rise here, and moon, you'll rise here. See, you can only go this far. The beast of the field, this is how you will act. The fowls of the air, this is how you will act. And you can stand in creation and see that creation worship God by being exactly what he made it to be. And so we are created to worship. Did you know to form the simple sentence, I would love to have some coffee right now. The human brain must make a number of intricate, bioelectrical, grammatical, and vocabulary decisions. And that number, for all practical purposes, might as well be expressed as infinite. An infinite number of vocabulary choices, grammatical choices and decisions must be made in order for us to say the simple sentence, I would love to have some coffee right now. And here's why we are so unique. This same sentence could be expressed in so many different ways using different tenses and different moods, different persons, sentence structures, and the list can go on and on. Our faculty of speech is so immensely ingenious and competent, even in small children, that no computer on earth has ever been designed with the capability to match the, the, the even a fracture or a fraction of the skill that is in our own language and capabilities. To match even an average human being's capacity or capability for speech, a computer the size of the entire Empire State Building would need to be erected and two equally larger water towers would need to be erected alongside of it to keep it cool. And so that's what would need to to happen in technology to be able to even come close to matching our ability in speech. Now that comparison was made 10 years ago, a decade ago, and we know that technology has, has far surpassed even things that, that we can think of. It has advanced leaps and strides in this past decade, but speech technology compared to a child's capability is still woefully inadequate to ours. And so I'm here to tell you this morning that I don't have to spend decades, I don't have to spend weeks or hours trying to research and build and theorize on who I am or what I've been made for, but I can open up my mouth right now and with my own words, I can fulfill my purpose in this earth. David said, Psalm 139 and verse 14, I will praise thee. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. And so our bodies, our bodies are the ultimate intended temple of the Holy Ghost that is uniquely designed as a vessel of worship. 
we were made to worship. We were made to praise. That is why you can travel anywhere on this earth. You can go anywhere on this planet. And where you find people, you will find worship. Anywhere you want to go. If you will find people, even the most indigenous people that have never seen another human being other outside of the people that they live with, there's going to be worship because all of humanity worships. Even those that say they don't believe in worship. Even those that say they are agnostic or they are, they are without any deity in their life whatsoever. That they don't believe in anything. Even those people worship and so therein lies the problem therein lies the issue with it's all you don't have to travel this is Mike going to cut a little corners here but you don't have to travel to a house of worship in order to worship you don't have to don some certain outfit or some some uniform or or, or, or you don't have to, to outwardly articulate that you will or that you are going to or are entering into an act of worship. You don't have to do any of that. Who you are says so. What your actions are say so. What you place your life into say so. For example, some worship at the career uh, uh, the altar of a career. Some worship at the altar of a hobby. Others place their sacrifice in a person or some organization because humanity will worship something. It's in us. The psalmist understood our natural inclination for worship. He understood that since we are going to worship something, we are going to give our praise and our adoration to something, we must purposefully purpose in our hearts to worship God and God alone because we will worship something. This inherent desire to worship is what reflects God's purpose in humanity. I've said it and I'll say it again. It is deeply ingrained in all of us. I have scripture for that, Genesis 2 and 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. God breathed into us the breath of God. The breath of God is the essence of God. And so we were made by him and we were made for him. His desire is for us and his purpose in all of us is for us to give our worship to him as the almighty, as the creator, as the only one who is worthy of worship. If creation worships him and he just spoke them into existence, he just said, let there be light and there was light. And he said, let there be creeping things and fowls of the air. Let the grass grow in and of itself and have seed of itself. If he spoke all of that into existence and it has the wherewithal every morning as the sun begins to rise, birds begin to chirp and they begin to sing the praises of its creator, then the people that he formed 
out of the dust of the earth and breathe into them the breath of life ought to have that same wherewithal to open up their mouth and to lift up their voice and praise him, the creator. Psalm 150 comes at the end of the book of Psalms because in musical terms, it resolves all the chords that are held in suspense and dissonance throughout the earlier Psalms. In other words, without it, it would be inharmonious. It would lack fulfillment. And it would lack a resolution. Brother Everett began our study earlier with a, with a series in Psalms 1. And he gave us some very great insight in what a blessed man does not and what a blessed man does. I know you remember every word from that message. I can feel it. You're connected with me. I bring it up for a reason. He talked about 10 descriptions of what a man doesn't do and what a man does do that would call him blessed. First, he walks not in ungodly counsel. He stands not submissively or inactively in the paths where sinners walk. He sits not where marker, mockers and scornful people were gathered. He delights, this is what he does, he delights in the law of the Lord and he desires its instruction and in that law he meditates in the day, he meditates in the night and because of that he is firmly rooted, planted by the streams of water, he brings forth timely fruit and he has an unwithering leaf. And 10, everything he does prospers or comes into maturity. Then at the very end of the book of Psalms, Psalm 150, where we are here today, plays a full, well-rounded chorus of praise with exactly 10 instruments. The trumpet, the psaltery, the harp, the timbrel, the dance, String instruments, organs, loud cymbals, high-sounding cymbals. And if you don't play any of those like me, 10, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let's take a moment and do that. Everything that has breath. I might not be able to dance. I might not be able to play the drums. I might not be able to strike a chord on a guitar but I can lift up my voice and I can use the instrument that God gave me, my own language, to tell him who he is in my life. You are great, God, and you are greatly to be praised. This connection between the book-ended Psalms is important to recognize. The one who walks according to the word of the Lord will ultimately end this journey in a state of pure praise. Let me say that again. The connection is that the one who walks according to the word of God, who walks not in ungodly counsel, who sits not with sinners, who delights in his word, who meditates day and night, will ultimately end up in a state of pure praise. 
the seeds that are planted in Psalm 1 come to full fruition in Psalm 150. Do you know what we're going to do when we reach that golden shore? That People that say, I want to talk to Peter and I want to talk to Paul, that may happen. We've got eternity to do that. But when we get there, the Bible says there's not going to be a sun and there's not going to be a moon, but the Lamb will be the light and we will praise Him for eternity. And so the seed that I plant now in Psalm 1, the walk not in ungodly counsel, to be what God has called me to be, will get me into the place of perfect praise to him. David said to sing praise to God for his mighty acts. In the opening lines of the book of Genesis, when God voices his command, let there be light, and throughout the Old Testament scripture, his power is displayed. His mighty acts are made known. His delivering power is displayed as he strategically rescues, rescues Israel from the bondage of Pharaoh. His mighty power is displayed as he destructively crushes Israel's walled enemy at Jericho. His miraculous power is displayed as he gives victory to Gideon's army with nothing more than trumpets, lanterns, and a broken earthen vessel. And time would not give us enough to exhaust everything that God did, even throughout the Old Testament. But I'm here to tell you this morning, we're not only surrounded with such a cloud of witnesses of the Old Testament scripture, but we are surrounded by a great congregate of witnesses that sit under the sound of my voice right now and in this very room. We are surrounded right now by God's miraculous power. We are surrounded right now by God's mighty power. We are surrounded right now by God's delivering power. We are surrounded by doctor reports that became little more than words on a piece of paper because God stepped in and miraculously healed. God, we're, we're surrounded by jobs lost only to be replaced by more secure and more monetarily sound employment. We are surrounded by empty pantries that are bare and refrigerators that were bare only to be filled to capacity because God spoke to somebody's heart to deliver food to someone that they had never laid eyes upon. I'll just keep going. We're surrounded by prison sentences that have been commuted. We are surrounded by lost loved ones who have returned to God. We are surrounded by marriages that have been restored. And we are surrounded by a great congregate of sins that have been forgiven and washed away by the blood of the Lamb. I submit to you this morning that we have very little to be unthankful for, but we have everything to be thankful for because we are completely enveloped by God's grace and by his mercy. We have nothing to be unthankful for, but we have everything to be thankful for for all he has done. All that he has done. And so we don't have a reason to praise God. We have reasons, plural, to praise God. 
first part of Psalm 150. Thank you, Jesus. Psalm 150 and 2 says to praise him for what he's done. Second follows according to his excellent greatness. See, the command here creates a complete reason as to why we give God glory. His mighty acts denote what he's done. But his excellent greatness speaks to who he is. You see, it's one thing to praise God for what he has done for you. But it can't end there. You can't just praise God for what he's done for you. Because no matter what it is that he has done for you, it is who he is. It's who he is that made all of that possible. And so David said, praise him for his mighty acts and what he's done for you. But don't just stop right there. Because if he doesn't do anything else for you, you have plenty of reason to praise him for who he is. He's great. His excellent greatness, it automatically places him and puts everything in its rightful place. He is great. He is the Almighty. And his greatness is abundant. And so we praise him because he's worthy to be praised. First Chronicle, I'm reading this from the amplified version, 1 Chronicles 16 and 25. The Bible says, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be reverently feared above all so-called gods. David said it again in Psalm 96, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be reverently feared and worshipped above all so-called gods. Gods. And so a God who is, a, is abundant in grace, a God who is abundant in mercy, a God who is abundant in his greatness deserves an abundance of praise. I'm going to say that again. A God who is abundant in his grace and in his mercy and in his greatness towards us deserves. He deserves an abundance of praise. And so we can do this all day long if we would not exhaust the, 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 the purpose. We would not exhaust our purpose in this earth if we praise him continuously because he's continuously been good to us. And so our praise should spill over into everything we do. I've thought about this. I don't mean to, I'm not trying to point you. I'm not, I'm not trying to get brownie points, so please don't think this. But I have always been admired, I've always admired our pastor's ability to just impromptu. I love you, Jesus. Yeah. Yes, sir. But some people might think that's kind of awkward. If I did it, it might be kind of awkward. Let me say that. But it's, it's an abundance of praise yes, right. that just spills over. Right, right. There's no stopping it. Right. It just comes out. David said, my cup yes. 
runneth over. You've been so good to me, God, that I just can't keep it in. I just can't contain it. I don't have to be in a house of worship in order to worship because I am the house of worship. And so when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he has done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. And so it should spill over. spill over into everything that we do and so David for the next 10 verses 6-5 verses tells us and admonishes us exactly how to praise God how in music there's something symbolic there's something symbolic with the, the, the myriad of musical instruments that David mentions in Psalm 150 the numbers suggest a whole, a full orchestra. Every instrument needed in an ancient symphony. Orchestras offer great diversity and flexibility and subtlety. An orchestra contains all the instruments necessary to play just about any piece of music. It can interchangeably move between different genres of music, fast or slow, and it has the Flexibility and the ability to meet the moment. An orchestra has certain brass and percussion instruments to enable it to play high tempo, large sounding such as big band type loud music. But it also has the softer sounding instruments like the recorder, the violin, or the lute when the music needs the lightest touch in a moment. When it needs the softest cry, a tender plea, the orchestra can move seamlessly right into that lane. If you've ever listened to a symphonic piece of music, it tends to tell a story. Music has the ability to lock things into place. M music is memorable. Why do you think that they teach children in school to do sing-song type things to learn? Because it teaches them. It helps them learn because music, it creates a story. When the subject, the instruments, and the voice, putting everything into words comes together, it tells a story. In ancient Israel, children learned who God was from their parents' praise. Israel's praise was not necessarily to give God some sort of ego boost or boost in self-esteem. Unlike, I'll say me, I won't include you, God doesn't struggle with self-image. God doesn't struggle with who he is. He doesn't need anyone to promote him. He is God all by himself. He said, before me there was no God created. Beside me, I don't know of any. I am the one true God. He's God all by himself. And so Israel's praise served the purpose of teaching theology. Their songs and praise to God taught God's greatness. It taught of his great exploits, his tender mercies, his unfailing love, his mighty power, 
the righteousness of his judgments, and the holiness of his word. Miriam's song on the other side of the Red Sea taught future generations of God's superiority over those so-called, those false gods. David's praise taught later Israelites that God was high above all creation, yet as close as the mention of his name. Moses' words in Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, are actually shouts of praise, a shout of defiance against all the false man-made gods on the earth. You see, without one generation's praise of God to another, Israel's theology would have been empty, having no content. Young Israelites and future generations would have not known God in fact, that tragedy did once occur in Scripture. As the, as the Bible says, a generation arose who knew not God because the prior generation quit talking about Him. And so herein lies the rub in all of this. I've already said it. Let's just tie it up in a neat little bow. Praise comes naturally to humanity. Praise is deeply ingrained in our DNA. We're God-breathed beings on this earth. And so what we direct our praise to, what we place our value in, that is what tells the world what we're praising. That is what tells the world our story. And so if we stop talking about him, if we stop singing his praise to a future generation, then a future generation has no hope in knowing all the miraculous things that God has done in our lives. I don't want to waste a week, a day, a moment without telling my little girl I was once dead and lost in my own sin, but God brought me out of the miry clay and he set my feet on a sure foundation. And that is why she is here. I don't want to waste a moment without reminding her that every single day you have a purpose. You're here for a purpose. You're here because I was lost and I was dying. Your mother and I was lost and we were dying. But God saved us and he gave us you so that we could give you back to him. One generation to another. And if we stop doing that, she has no hope in finding her way to the foot of the cross. And so worship is inevitable. And that's why it's so vitally important that we are intentional about what we place our trust in and where we place our honor toward. Praise ye the Lord is not just a verbal command that warrants a verbal only. Response. It's not just something we do when we corporately worship. The command is to live a lifestyle of praise to God. 
It's what people will hear from your life whenever you, whenever you speak to them. It's what they will know whenever they think of you. It's what will emanate from every conversation. It's what is in the abundance of your heart will reveal the, to the world around you who you are. It's spoken in every relationship. It's articulated in every intersection of our lives. It's your story that you're telling and the influence you have with every single transaction that takes place in your life. And so the verbal command to praise God is only half the equation. I'm going to do my best to do this in six more minutes. I am closing. Long only. Navarro was a Native American member of the Kiowa tribe. As a boy, he hated, hated living on the reservation. He hated being a member of the Kiowa. He hated all the customs of the people. He hated the names, the stigma, the poverty, the clothes, the way the people talked. He just wanted to be a regular American boy. He was tired of being what he called a shabby member of a shabby people because it all started with his grandpa. That was when Navarre started hating who he was. There was a parade in the city next to the reservation, and the city asked Navarre's grandpa to wear a full headdress and march in the city's parade. During the parade, three young men from the crowd started mocking him and followed him. They intimidated and exaggerated his shuffle and knocked his headdress off, and one of them picked it up and put it on backwards, while another one yanked it off of him and put it on in mock nobility and signaled to the others to accompany him to a public trash can where they threw that in. That had been two years ago. But on this particular day, Navarre was going to have to spend the day with his grandpa. Navarre's mother dropped him off and left. He sat down in a chair. No one else seemed to be home. Within a few minutes, Grandpa entered the room wearing that exact headdress, which he had somewhat repaired. I'm very old and have perhaps only a few weeks to live. I want to tell you about our people. Kiowa came from the coal plains. Our friends were the Apaches. Our enemies were the Cheyenne and Navajo. And for the next two hours, between labored breathing, the chief told of the history of his people. He told of the buffalo hunts and the time before the white man of the Great Migration. Grandpa only stopped when the boy's mother returned and told him that they had to go. The boy began to sob. He hugged his grandpa's neck, pushed the headdress up, and kissed him on the forehead and said goodbye, great one. Many years later, after a lifetime spent in service to his people, Navarre recalled that day he went to his grandfather's house. He said he went to that house wanting to be nothing more than a regular American boy. But he left Grandpa's house wanting to be nothing less than a member of Kiowa. And in light of this story in history, one apostolic minister asked this question, and I pose it to you and myself today. Would those who hear me tell of Christ and of our faith be able to say when I am through, that although they came wanting to be little more than a success in worldly terms, they left wanting to be nothing less than apostolic. And so I end with this. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot 
be hid. And I'll, please forgive me, it cannot be hid no matter what it does. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. And so I say this morning, without fear and without favor to whoever is onlooking, let us praise our God unashamedly for who he is and for what he has done, thus fulfilling God's purpose in us and through us in Jesus' name. And so for the next minute and a half, would you lift up your voice and would you give great praise to a great God. Oh, we love you and we praise you, Lord. We magnify your name, Jesus. There is none like you in all the earth. There is none before you and there is none beside you and there will be none after you. You are the first and you are the last. You are the great and great God. We magnify your name. We praise you for who you are. We thank you, God, for what you've done in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for future things, God, that you're going to do. We put our faith and our trust in you, oh God, because you are the only one who we can trust and honor and give glory in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to your name. Glory to your name, oh God. Hallelujah. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.